0: This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by The Jesus Music, the new documentary from Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine, featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music. The Jesus Music, only in theaters beginning October 1st. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone.
1: Are we going to stand with God um what me? That the word of God says it,
0: I believe it!
2: And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford.
0: Thank you so much for joining us again. In an era of cancel culture and suppression of alleged misinformation online, it would be easy to conclude that the growing censorship we see across America only involves political matters. But there is another major front in the war on unapproved speech. If you are not a supporter of evolution, your intellectual freedom to say so is under fire as well. We're going to talk about it today with Dr. Casey Luskin, who recently wrote about this problem over at The Federalist. He is a California licensed attorney and works as Associate Director of the Center for Science and Culture at the Discovery Institute. His piece is called Why You Only Hear One Side of the Debate Over Life's Origins. So good to have you here, Casey. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Janet. You bet. Now, you have pointed out this is a great article, by the way. I'm so glad that you wrote this. But you point out that a recent University of Michigan survey shows 54% of Americans now accept evolution. What is your reaction to that number?
3: Yeah, so. My first reaction is I actually think that it overstates the percentage of Americans that support evolution. The way that they defined evolution in that survey was a very sort of weak, uh, low-level definition that I think many people might affirm it and yet still be skeptics of the the grand naturalistic Darwinian story. So I think that that 54% is an overstatement of the number of Americans that actually you know support the the standard Darwinian view. That being said, I am willing to believe that the percentage of Americans that uh, accept and support evolution is increasing. I have no problem uh, believing that. The question is, why is this happening? Is it happening because the evidence is so powerful and compelling, or is it happening because there's sort of a a nationwide uh, blacklist on information that challenges Darwin? And I think that it could be a mix of both, and I think there's a lot of evidence that we have a lot of information suppression on the Darwin debate Um, happening in this country.
0: Well, I think you're right about that. Now, you talk about it in a couple of different areas. For example, scientists uh, have a lot of problems if they're going to go down the road of intelligent design or even talk about creation. That's that's becoming more of an un-PC thing to even attempt to do. What is the landscape looking like for scientists who go against this Darwinian evolution narrative?
3: Yeah, there's been a lot of intolerance in the scientific community towards Darwin skeptics or proponents of intelligent design it's been there for a long time, Janet. In fact, we've been saying over the last couple of years that we in our community at the Intelligent Design Movement, we've been experiencing cancellation since long before cancellation was a thing. Yeah. I mean, they've been doing this. They pretty much honed the methods of cancellation on us for the last three or four decades. Uh, but to give maybe a recent example of this, earlier this year, uh, a physicist named Eric Hadine published a book which he titled Cancelled Science. And he told the story about how he briefly mentioned Intelligent Design in an interdisciplinary elective seminar at Ball State University, and when the science faculty found out and some atheist groups found out, they hounded the university, and the university ended up adopting a speech code, which essentially said that faculty at Ball State University could not talk about intelligent design. So I say this in my little article, The Federalist, you know, when when science faculty are not allowed to even mention scientific alternatives to Darwin, then it's no wonder that support for Darwinism is increasing, it's all that students are hearing.
0: Yeah, I think this is a Oh, no, I agree with you completely. And going back to what you said earlier about this University of Michigan survey, the fact that you are suspicious that many of the people who fall into this 54 percent approval and acceptance of evolution probably don't even understand fully the arguments that Darwin was making or the naturalistic worldview. They couldn't really articulate it, probably. Is the same to be said for these people who are shouting down the scientists or people like the author you mentioned, that they're they're shouting down and probably yelling in many cases, but science, but consensus, and not even fully understanding what they're standing for. They just look upon anybody who dissents as an idiot or some kind of dangerous human who will you know, lead us all astray. I mean, do they really even understand the arguments?
3: Well, I'm sure that many people do. I, I don't know the exact percentage of who does and doesn't understand the arguments, but you're, I'm sure you're right, Janet, that there is a significant percentage of people who so say they support evolution, but they're just parroting back what they saw on National Geographic or you know what they what their high school biology teacher told them. They don't really understand the science. I'm sure there's plenty of folks out there like that. But but yeah, I mean that that being said, I I think I think that we are dealing with a situation in this country where in the scientific community people do not have the freedom to think for themselves. Um, we're see, we're heading towards what we might call a scientocracy or a technocracy where people think that it's a virtue now to shut down minority scientific viewpoints, whereas historically in the scientific community, we needed those minority scientific viewpoints. I mean, every scientific revolution that has ever taken place started off as a minority scientific viewpoint. And if we end up in a situation, authoritarian uh, atmosphere in the scientific community, then science won't be able to progress anymore, and that's very dangerous.
0: Completely agree with you there. Now, Descent from darwin.org is a wonderful website. Can, people can check that out. And you have more than 1,100 scientists. You're one of them who have signed on as to being skeptical of claims for the ability of random mutation and natural selection to account for the complexity of life. What happens to these scientists, not just the ones on this list, but scientists in general, who deviate from the accepted narrative on Darwinian evolution? What kinds of consequences do they face? We've talked about that one example, but what are some other things? things that happen to them if they dare to dissent?
3: We have seen all kinds of carnage over the years happen to scientists who have signed this list. They've been fired from their jobs. They've been denied tenure. They've been prevented from getting funding. They've had their lab space taken away. They've been blacklisted. So when they apply for a new job, they don't get interviews. Whereas before they signed the list, they got all kinds of interviews or they just get generally harassed and shunned by their colleagues um, and many other consequences. So I mean, I, again, you know, I'm not saying that this is some kind of a conspiracy theory, that uh, there's some organized effort to suppress this uh, non-Darwinian views. What, I'm, what I think we see is the kind of um, institutional discrimination, which is very common in many systems in this country, you know, when power structures systematically marginalize people and viewpoints that are in the minority, and that's exactly what's happening here. Uh, what's concerning, and I say this in my essay at The Federalist, is that this is happening in the scientific community, but that is where scientific uh, freedom of inquiry is supposed to thrive. And that's that's not a good uh, bellwether for the status of intellectual freedom in our country.
0: No, and and what you point out in your article, which I find very interesting, is during the Soviet era, you saw all kinds of unanimity on the uh, concept of evolution. I mean, we certainly seem to be moving more in the direction of a Marxist worldview over here than we ever could have imagined several years back. Is that kind of what's going on? Do you see kind of a Soviet era coming upon us? Not to that extent necessarily, but at least intellectually, if you're not allowed to dissent, that's more Soviet than it is American.
3: Oh, you're exactly right, Janet. I mean, we're not there yet, but there are certainly people who want to take us there. Uh, You know, I'm sure if you were to survey uh, citizens in the Soviet Union, say in 1985 about the percentage that supported Darwin, you would have had near 100 percent because they hadn't, number one, the official system there suppressed any information that challenged Darwin, and number two, there was all kinds of pressure on people to just assent to the official line. We're getting both those kinds of pressure all over here in the United States, so we are heading in that direction. Obviously, there still is intellectual freedom, but I think when it comes to the debate over Darwin, we don't have that much freedom. I'll just give you a quick anecdote. You may have heard this example before, but a number of years ago, there was a Chinese paleontologist who was a critic of Darwin, and someone asked him, well, are you afraid... To criticize Darwin because you might get in trouble with the government. And he had the greatest reply. He said in China we can criticize government sorry, in China we can criticize Darwin but not the government and but in America you can criticize the government but not Darwin. Hmm. So even folks in China recognize they have more freedom of thought on this particular issue than we do here in the United States.
0: Who is really driving this? Do you think that there is one central institution that is really driving this kind of cancel culture? Is it the academic institutions, uh, you know, academia itself? Is it more from the scientific community? Where, where is the origin, would you say, if there is one?
3: I think, that, I think that there's a lot of origins. I think that part of it is sociological. I think that when people are comfortable that their viewpoint is correct, then they are very happy to entertain debate and discussion and dissent. So it tells you something about how many evolutionary scientists feel about the strength of the evidence supporting their data, that they so often resort to this kind of information suppression and trying to get rid of people that disagree with them. So I think that's sort of like a, maybe a psychological, sociological factor. There are some people who, you know, they've said this in their essays, that they fear that as soon as we let uh, someone critique Darwin, then the next thing you know, there's going to be prayer in schools and we're going to be putting women that had abortions in jail
0: yeah, right. So i tell you what, we're going to pause for a break. Dr. Casey Leskin with us from the Discovery Institute. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today. Ask yourself, what do you pay for health care? Are you single? Do you pay more than $199 a month? Are you a couple? Do you pay more than $299 a month? Do you have a family? Do you pay more than $399 a month? Yes, you can serve the entire family with health care for only $399 a month with Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a non nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals. Sign up at any time of the year. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. Or call now 855-565-2561. That's 855-565-2561 or libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mafford for Bible League International. Jaime is an itinerant pastor in Ecuador. In Latin
1: America, there, there are violence. Pastors and Christian workers uh, face with attackers, thieves, gangs. So that's the that's the problem.
0: Jaime will travel days by foot, boat, and mule. He's been beaten by warlocks, robbed, and suffered broken bones after falling in the Andes Mountains. What awaits him at the end of each trip? A thriving congregation of hundreds of believers in an area where Christianity is fiercely opposed. When I share Jaime's story, I recall Isaiah 6:8. Whom shall I send? Who will go? I believe this man is enduring more than some pastors ever will. And like others in the world where Bibles are desperately needed, Jaime is humbly asking us to send God's word. For only $5 you can send a Bible to Latin America and around the world and a special match will double your gift. Call 800 word 800 Y E S W O R D, or there's a Bible League banner at janetmefford.com.
2: You're listening to Janet Mefford today, and now here's Janet
0: Well, you thought cancel culture was only political. Not the case. Dr. Casey Luskin is joining us. He is Associate Director of the Center for Science and Culture at the Discovery Institute. He has a great piece over at The Federalist, why you only hear one side of the debate over life's origin. And we were talking a little bit, Casey, before we went to the break about the similarities to the Soviet Union, where largely due to government indoctrination and a lack of intellectual freedom, as you point out, they were pretty much united on this idea of Darwinism in the Soviet Union. And and you're talking about where we are in the U.S., I think you're absolutely right. If you believe you are correct, you do tend to tolerate dissent because you are confident in your ability to defend the truth and persuade people to come over to the truth. So what does that tell us about these people who are more willing to cancel those who even hold to intelligent design rather than being open and honest and saying, listen, we think Darwinian evolution is right on the money and we're going to let everybody disagree with us. We'll just disprove you. That's not what's happening.
3: No, exactly. I, I think that for many people it shows that they're not really comfortable that the evidence is fully on their side. They like to use the term settled science, consensus, there is no conflict. But that's the kind of language people use when they're trying to shut down conversation and, and scientific uh, debate rather than actually inviting a real uh, scientific inquiry. So this, is a very, uh, this should be a very disturbing state of the scientific community if they're, if they're uh, behaving like this.
0: Absolutely. What about online information suppression? We, we have seen some of the antics of big tech on social media and so forth, but how are they suppressing information relating to life's origin online?
3: Well, I think it's kind of a given that a, a Google is going to put an intelligent design website further down than, say, an evolutionary biology website at some university. That's just the way it works. Yeah. But there are some folks in the scientific community who are actually calling for big tech to have increased censorship of ID websites. Last year, or actually, it was right around the time that COVID hit last year, the journal Bioessays, rather than talking about COVID, published an editorial calling for mandatory disclaimers and color-coded banners on search engines to warn people about what they called factual errors on websites supporting intelligent design. Wow. So they want to sort of have a, you know, a surveillance uh, color-coding system that's going to warn people that what you find on these websites is inaccurate. Never mind that that particular essay in bioessays itself was, was highly inaccurate. That's a whole other thing. Another area that we see uh, information suppression is at Wikipedia. And I think Wikipedia is perhaps the largest website where people get information about evolution and intelligent design. Larry Sanger, a couple years ago, who was one of the co-founders of Wiki- Wikipedia, he's a self-described agnostic who says he believes intelligent design to be completely wrong. He looked at the intelligent design entry at Wikipedia and called it appallingly biased. He said, quote, It it simply cannot be defended as neutral. And I know a lot of folks that have tried to make edits to the Wikipedia entry on Intelligent Design to add balance or accuracy, and the editors just shut them down and don't allow it. So this is a very bad thing. Big tech is allowing a lot of information, whether wittingly or unwittingly, to go out about evolution and Intelligent Design.
0: Well, that says something as well. And it's really disturbing because how in the world, you know, you go back to when we were all in school and when you would do research, just when you were in high school or so or something like that. And these days, high school kids are using the Internet a lot to do research. If you can't even find the opposing view, how in the world can you do research to even come to a conclusion on any topic, but especially about life's origins?
3: I think that's the way a lot of people want it to be, Janet, that they want it to be very difficult to find any evidence and information that challenges Darwin on the internet. And I mean, thankfully, we're not totally there yet, but we're marching. We're marching in a very dangerous direction, I would say.
0: How, why do you think that the issue of where we came from is so important to them? Because why can't they just tolerate the fact that, you know, certain people don't agree with them? What, what do you think is the fundamental problem that they have with the idea that we didn't come out of the ooze and we didn't evolve from monkeys or what have you? What, what's their issue? Why are they so upset that somebody doesn't agree with them?
3: Yeah, well, I I do think that the issue of where we came from is very important to these people, and I respect that. I mean, we're all human beings. The issue of where we came from is important to all of us. It's something that whatever your worldview or background or outlook is, where we came from is one of the most important questions of all humanity that we can ask. That makes it all the more important that we should have objectivity and access to information on this issue so people can make up their own minds what they think is right and shouldn't have censorship. So there's no doubt, Janet, that for a certain percentage of, of evolutionary scientists out there, they are driven by an atheistic worldview, which says that, you know, they, they, they are afraid to allow any crack in that edifice that might, uh, you know, show that there's evidence of intelligent design or a creator um, in, in the world, and that scares them. I'm sure that's true for some people. For a lot of other people, it's just sort of like, you know, there's this really uh, conformist atmosphere in the scientific community day. I've spent a lot of time in the scientific community. There's a lot of conformism. There's a lot of politics. And for a lot of rank-and-file scientists, they may or may not even be atheists. They just want to get along in their careers. Hmm. And they know that when you stand up in the scientific community for a minority scientific view, like intelligent design, that's the kiss of death to your career. And so the best way to do that is just to go along with the evolutionary status quo. And I think for a large percentage, that really is the motive. Um, It's sort of these elite atheist scientists who set this climate and this tone of academic intimidation against everyone else and then a lot of folks just go along with it.
0: And ultimately, doesn't that inhibit scientific progress? If you're only allowed to go along with what atheistic elites say the narrative needs to be, how in the world can you make advances in science?
3: No, that, that's exactly right, Janet. Uh, it's It should be very concerning. There was a survey, by the way, done in the late 90s of members of the National Academy of Sciences in the USA and looked at the biologists. And somewhere around 94%, of the biologists in the National Academy of Sciences. These are the most elite scientists in the country. 94% of the biologist members consider themselves atheists or agnostics. So that tells you what people think and, and what kind of a tone is being set at the highest levels of the scientific community
0: amazing. Now, you also talk about the Next Generation Science Standards, and the New York Times, I guess, has called it a firm stand. These standards take a firm stand that children must learn about evolution. I would warrant there are many listeners who aren't even aware of the Next Generation Science Standards. What can you tell us about those?
3: Sure. Yeah, definitely folks should be aware of this. The Next Generation Science Standards were developed in the late 2000s and early 2010s by sort of an elite coalition of educators and scientists, and they wanted them to be adopted by every state in the United States. And so far, they've been very successful. 44 out of 50 states have adopted something like the, the Next Generation Science Standards or the exact standards themselves. And they, they are very, very dogmatic on evolution. They call for students to learn that common ancestry and biological evolution are, quote, supported by multiple lines of empirical evidence. But there's no mention of counter-evidence. And I think when you're framing the topic of evolution and origins like that, it's basically forcing students to affirm assent and support for evolution rather than giving them access to all the information so they can think for themselves and make up their own mind. So we're teaching students what to think here not how to think and that's very dangerous
0: well and you even mentioned that the standards ignore studies that contradict them so they don't even include any kind of counter information that might cause kids god forbid to think and to analyze and to compare and to weigh things in order to come to a proper conclusion they just ignore them
3: that, that's exactly right they basically present a dumbed-down censored version of evolution of students uh, that is certainly not supported by many studies in the peer-reviewed scientific literature Uh, One example is the NGSS tells students that the early stages of vertebrate embryos, like fish or birds or pigs, um, are very similar, Um, and this shows that they share a common ancestry. But frequently, textbooks and the NGSS, uh, they overstate the degree of similarity between these early stages of embryos, and you can find papers in the peer-reviewed scientific literature talking about how the earliest stages of, of vertebrate embryo development are actually very different. And, of course, that does not show up in the next generation science standards. They present this sort of one-sided view that's that's very dumbed down, and it's not good science.
0: No, that's just nuts. Casey, what are the practical effects on society when the public loses its access to information, challenging evolution, and becomes kind of thoroughly propagandized?
3: Well, I think, to be honest with you, I mean, obviously, it's never good when the population loses access to information. That's when we end up in... Brave New World or 984 kind of society, and we definitely don't want to go there. But the good news, Janet, is I really do believe that a lot of people are, you want to talk about being woke? A lot of people are woke to the fact that they are not getting, being given the full story. Yeah. The media, the educational system, the courts, the elites have an agenda, and they are not informing you about all the facts. And so a lot of people now are proactively seeking out um, credible scientists who can present the full range of views and the full range of the facts. That's what we do at Discovery Institute. We have many PhD scientists who are affiliated with us, who are doing research and investigation into intelligent design, publishing peer-reviewed papers. And if you go to uh, www.discovery.org or our news site, which is evolutionnews.org, you can find daily articles talking about, is this talking about the peer-reviewed literature, the same literature that the evolutionists publish in, but the peer-reviewed literature which is challenging the core tenets of Darwin and supporting intelligent design. So I think if you are willing to be a little bit proactive, you can get around this sort of great evolutionary firewall and find information that, that is balanced and accurate.
0: That's wonderful. Both of those websites, by the way, I can attest, are fantastic, and people should check them out. Casey, have you guys encountered, just out of curiosity, much censorship of your own from big tech? Have you had problems with social media or any of your site information? Any kinds of problems along those lines? We have.
3: I mean, like any sort of... You know, minority uh, scientific group. We've had DNS server attacks. We've had people try to tag us as, you know, some kind of a dangerous, you know, element on the internet so that we don't get ranked um, on, the, on the search engines or on Facebook. Uh, one, uh, an intelligent design peer reviewed scientific journal called Biocomplexity, uh, someone mounted a campaign to get Biocomplexity sort of listed as a, I think, as some kind of a dangerous website on Facebook. So people are no longer able to share. These, this peer-reviewed scientific research on Facebook from the scientific journal because it supports intelligent design. So, I mean, we certainly have had our fair share of these kinds of things, um, and I think that w- but I think that the biggest one is Wikipedia. Anytime that people have tried to import balance into the articles on intelligent design evolution of Wikipedia, the editors just revert it, lock it out, and they're they very aware that if there's balance on the Wikipedia, which is so highly used by people, so highly trafficked, for people who want to understand our origin um, The editors are very aware That they need to suppress the other view Or people might actually hear That there's science that the Darwin
0: Crazy, well you can check out discovery.org Evolutionnews.org And also Casey Leskin's piece at The Federalist Why you only hear one side of the debate over life's origin Thank you so much Casey God bless you You're listening to Janet Meffer today This archived broadcast of Janet Mefford Today is brought to you by Courageous Legacy, the new movie from Sherwood Pictures, Affirm Films, Provident Films, and the Kendrick Brothers. Remastered in 4K and including a new ending, Courageous Legacy, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters, September 24th.
2: This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford.
0: This hour, Janet Meffer today is brought to you in part by Courageous Legacy, the new film from Sherwood Pictures, Affirm Films, Provident Films, and the Kendrick Brothers, remastered in 4K and including a new ending, Courageous Legacy, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13 in theaters September 24th. Well, let's dive into this latest debate here. I saw this story from AP. Many faith leaders say no to endorsing vaccine exemptions, and some of these people are Typical people you would expect to be in a story like this by AP, the Greek Orthodox Church, and a Roman Catholic archdiocese, and the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, liberals. But then in the middle of all this, Dr. Robert Jeffress pops up from First Baptist Dallas, Southern Baptist megachurch, saying he and his staff are neither offering nor encouraging members to seek religious exemptions from the vaccine mandates. And this was what he said in an email to AP. He said, there is no credible religious argument against the vaccines. Christians who are troubled by the use of a fetal cell line for the testing of the vaccines would also have to abstain from the use of Tylenol, Peptobismol, ibuprofen, and other products that use the same cell line if they are sincere in their objection. Now, that, that might come as news to some Christians. Are you saying that we have a similar situation with aborted cell lines involved in those other medicines that he mentions? It's a weird position to take, but then you go back to March, and Dr. Jeffress was the one who had been saying that... You can take the vaccine even if there are aborted baby cell lines involved in the testing for the vaccines because just like the death of Jesus on the cross, good can come from an unjust killing. And we played that at the time and there's so much about Dr. Jeffers that I like and agree with. On that one, I just completely parted company. I said, you can't justify that. You can't justify that. But now he and others are saying... There is no religious reason that you can refuse the COVID-19 vaccine. It's very interesting that he mentions this point because there was this story that just came out out of the state of Arkansas. There's a hospital system in Arkansas making it a bit more difficult for staff to receive a religious exemption from its COVID-19 vaccine mandate. The hospital is now requiring staff to also swear off Tylenol, Tums, even Preparation H, In order to get the exemption, the move was prompted when Conway Regional Health System noted an unusual uptick in vaccine exemption requests that cited the use of fetal cell lines in the development and testing of the vaccines. The president and CEO is quoted here in this story, and I got this off Technocracy News, but it's also in other places. I don't know the original source here. Matt Troop, who said this was significantly disproportionate to what we've seen with the influenza vaccine, And so we provided a religious attestation form for those individuals requesting a religious exemption. The form includes a list of 30 commonly used medicines that fall into the same category as the COVID-19 vaccine in their use of fetal cell lines. I'm sorry, but this is one gigantic jackboot over the line when it comes to their very closely held belief of separation of church and state when it's crushing Christians. I'm not saying this hospital system wants to crush Christians. What I'm saying is this is, It's just an unbelievable crossing of the line. This is a total violation of separation of church and state. Why? Because no individual company or government entity can tell you how to practice your religion. Now, you can talk a little bit about the fetal cell line issue, and I'm no expert on that. But who are they to tell you, no, this is not your religious belief. You have to be consistent in your religious belief. And if you believe X, you must also believe Y, Z, A, B, C, and N, and Q as well. I mean, who are you to tell people what they have to believe or what their religious conscience is telling them about a vaccine? All this is is another step toward this universal force that these technocrats want to put on Americans and people all across the world. I find it terrifying, and I think it's just not helping when you have even evangelical voices speaking out and saying, yeah, no, there's no religious reason. This is why I have appreciated, and I'm going to give them a shout out here, Matt Staver over at Liberty Council. They actually have been very, very good on this issue of religious exemptions. And of course, they've done lots of good legal work during the course of the pandemic concerning religious liberty, but they have a sample Religious exemption request letter on their website. This is going all the way back to July. There was a section here that I think is very important for people to understand, and I want to quote from it. Most mandates are currently coming from employers and educational institutions in the employment context. They point out that Title VII prohibits workplace discrimination on the basis of religion. The First Amendment applies to public employers and educational institutions. So, They go on to say many of our clients and constituents hold sincere pro-life religious beliefs that prohibit them from participating in or benefiting from an abortion. Some believe that they may not benefit in any way from an abortion, no matter how remote in time that abortion occurred. Others have prayed and asked God whether they should get the COVID shot and have received a clear word from the Lord in their spirit that they must not get the shot. Still others do not feel such a leading, but support the individual believer's liberty of conscience, consistent with the principles outlined in 1 Corinthians 8. There are also those who have recovered from COVID due to healthy immune systems that God has given to them and are themselves protected from getting COVID due to natural immunity and a reliance upon God's protection consistent with with Psalm 91. And then they go into some details about the different shots. The Johnson & Johnson COVID shot did require the use of fetal cell cultures in order to produce and manufacture the vaccine. Then while a lot of these health FAQs confirm mRNA vaccines by Pfizer, BioNTech and Moderna do not contain fetal cells, they do say that early in the development of those vaccine technologies fetal cells were used for proof of concept uh, or to characterize the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. And so both Pfizer and Moderna used abortion-derived cell lines to test the efficacy of both vaccines. So that's a problem for Christians, is it not? And who is the Greek Orthodox Grand Puba to? tell people they can't have a religious conscience. Now, this is a very important thing. When you go back to the Protestant Reformation, there was a really strong adherence, and I believe it's a biblical one, on religious conscience. There is a lot in the Bible that is not up for debate. It's not a matter of, well, I feel in my soul that it's okay to lie. I feel in my soul that it's okay to commit adultery. No, you don't get to feel in your soul anything but God's word on the matter when it comes to his moral law. But we all understand that in many contexts, there are gray areas and Christians can disagree And we disagree on some things that I think are very important things. Christians disagree on the mode of baptism. Is communion a memorial or is it not a memorial? So we have these kinds of debates. But the issue here is very clear, and that is if you have a religious conscience about a particular matter, then you're allowed to exercise that as an American citizen. And especially at a time when you're seeing more draconian action coming from the government, that's when you ought to shore up religious conscience, not tear it down and try to guilt Christians into getting the COVID-19 vaccine. For example... And and let me just reiterate, if you haven't heard me say this before, I'm fine with people going either way. If you want to get the COVID-19 vaccine for various reasons, you're free to do it. If you don't want to get the vaccine, you should be free to do that. We live in the United States. We should try acting like it. And here's, for example, an article from the Washington Post that came out recently from uh, Marty McCary. He's a professor at Johns Hopkins and Bloomberg School of Public Health. This was his piece in the Washington Post, natural immunity to COVID is powerful and policymakers seem afraid to say so. There's this new study, many studies actually, that have now come out, more than 15, demonstrating the power of immunity acquired by previously having the virus. A 700,000-person study from Israel two weeks ago found that those who had experienced prior infection were 27 times less likely to get a second symptomatic COVID infection than those who were vaccinated. And he cited another study whose authors concluded that individuals who have had SARS-CoV-2 infection are unlikely to benefit from COVID-19 vaccination. Now, that seems important, doesn't it? These studies that are coming out that fly in the face of everything that they have been telling us, all the flip-flops that we've seen from Dr. Fauci, who still has yet to be investigated and answer for legally, his false claims about the funding of -of gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Now, in the midst of this, you have this absolutely insane article that came out, at the Gospel Coalition on its Australian version, their Australian website, talking about the fact that if you're really going to love your neighbor, maybe we should make proof of vaccination a standard requirement for attendance at large indoor gatherings such as church services. Can you imagine a Christian church of any type saying, if you're not vaccinated, you can't come in because you don't love your neighbor? In light of all this other information saying, that's ridiculous, We'll get into that more. We'll come back right here on Janet Meffer Today.
2: From Sherwood Pictures, Affirm Films, Provident Films, and the Kendrick Brothers comes Courageous Legacy. Celebrating 10 years of impact on families and fathers, remastered in 4K, and including a new ending and bonus scenes.
1: So where are you men of courage? I believe every father should step up and answer the call and say, I will. I will.
2: Courageous Legacy, rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. In theaters this Friday. More information is available at CourageousTheMovie.com. Hi, this is
0: Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn my four oldest
3: children were adopted, that is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child, and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural-born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved ministries like Preborn.
0: Help moms choose life with Preborn. Your gift of $28 provides an abortion-minded mother a potentially life-saving ultrasound. $140 could save five babies. You can give now at 855-601-BABY. That's 855-601-2229 or visit preborn.com.
2: From Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine comes a new documentary, The Jesus Music.
1: Jesus Music found its way in my hometown and it changed my life. I saw contemporary Christian music born right before my very eyes. I think music is the most powerful universal language in the world.
2: Featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music, including Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, Toby Mack, and Kirk Franklin. The Jesus Music, only in theaters beginning October 1st. More information is available at thejesusmusic.com. Movie. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet.
0: All right, let's talk a little bit about this Gospel Coalition article COVID vaccination in the church. This was at TGC Australia's website, and it's just nuts. I, I cannot stand when you go on these blogs and these people are opining. And listen, the same standard applies to me. I'm not a scientist, I'm not a medical doctor. But people who have decided from a political standpoint that this is what I want to do on the COVID vaccine issue and or I'm scared and or I think Fauci's a rock star. Therefore, I'm going to impose everything that I believe on you as my fellow Christian, that you have a moral obligation to take the vaccine. I don't think you can make that. Case. I just don't think you can make that case. I also don't think you can make that case on the other side. You might make a very good scientific case for talking about how it is like the French virologist uh, who uh, found the HIV virus and won the Nobel Prize for medicine for it in 2008. He made the point that the vaccines are actually making the variants worse. And that's why he didn't take the vaccine. Okay, so you ought to bring these kinds of things into the discussion. But now this author Megan Best over at the Gospel Coalition is arguing that because we have to love our neighbors and prioritize the interests of the most vulnerable, there are good and persuasive reasons for us to support and implement a system in which proof of vaccination or medical exemption is a standard requirement for attendance at large indoor gatherings such as church services. Why would you do that? Are we to show no partiality? Isn't that what the Bible says? Aren't we supposed to be ministering to everybody who comes through the door? I mean, what if Jesus took that, took that tack when it came to lepers? How about that? Well, you're sick. You know, you're covered with sores. I'm not going to have anything to do with you, man. You're going to need to get that vaccine for leprosy or I'm sorry, I can't minister to you. And they're not even talking about people who currently have COVID-19 walking through the doors. You can't come into the church building if you have COVID-19. That would be somewhat reasonable, although you do depend on people to have common sense. And if you're sick, you don't go to church until you're well. That seems like a normal thing for people to usually do. They're not even going on that standard. They're going on the standard of if you don't get a vaccine that you might not need for a variant that will go through the population regardless, even if you are vaccinated and that's happening. How do you justify that medically? Because I don't believe for a lot of these people that medicine has anything to do with it. I think it's fear. I think it's politics. I think it's part of the crowd that is more moved by totalitarian force than other people force people to do what's right because they have a view of the state. That is the state can do no wrong. And if the state tells us what to do, we need to follow it. Otherwise, we're not following Romans 13 a terrible, spurious argument. It can be untangled easily. But a lot of these people really need to get with the program. So let's go to Fauci, shall we? Fauci, who ought to be investigated for lying to Congress, as Rand Paul rightly said, is still making the rounds and the media is not confronting him about the main issue as to his involvement in the original creation, potentially, of the virus by having funded or subfunded the gain-of-function research that he claimed he didn't fund, and now it's been proven that he did. They don't want to talk about that. But Jake Tapper did an interview with Anthony Fauci yesterday, and I thought this was very interesting. You might have heard that the FDA did not recommend boosters except for people over the age of 65. And it was interesting because he said before this decision was ever made, that if the FDA panel did not support boosters for everybody, that they would be making a mistake. And so Jake Tapper asked him about this. This is cut one.
2: On Wednesday, you said in an interview, quote, if they say we don't think there's enough data to do a booster, then so be it. I think that would be a mistake, to be honest with you. So on Wednesday, you said it would be a mistake so but now you're saying you don't
1: think it was a mistake no i mean i you know when i was saying that mistake my own personal looking at this again just because i look at the data and say i would do it this way that's the reason why we have qualified groups of people who together as a committee examine all the data and make a decision so i have no problem at all with their decision the thing that i'm saying is that data will continue to come in. And I believe you're going to see an evolution of this process as we go on in the next several weeks to months.
0: That's just babble. What What is he saying? He said it would be a mistake if they didn't approve the booster. And then when he's confronted about it, he says, humana, 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 blah. No, no, that's not what I really meant. I meant uh, blah, blah, what you just heard. He flip-flops all the time. He seems to have no problem saying one thing at one time and saying something completely different down the road. And how many times have we seen this guy do it? There was a compilation by the Gravian media guy, Tom Elliott, online. And I want you to listen, for example, the comparison between Dr. Fauci's comments in July of 2020 on T-cell immunity compared to what he said in September of 2020. This is cut two.
1: The Swedes came out with a paper and also a paper from NIH grantees from La Jolla just came out in the journal Cell showing the same thing that an individual's who were infected and recovered. They had T cell responses, but importantly, there was T cell reactively also detected in non-exposed individuals, which means that maybe there's some memory from other coronaviruses that are benign cold viruses that you were exposed to that might, and I say might, explain why some people, even children, might be protected that they had exposure that's not measured in antibody, but measured by T cells. There's also the pre-existing immunity of those who have cross-reactivity, which is about a third of the public in many estimates from studies, which would actually get you to about five years. I'd like to talk to you about that also, because there was a study that recently came out that pre-existing immunity to coronaviruses that are common cold do not cross-react with the COVID-19.
0: Okay, so flip-flop, flip-flop. I said that, but now something else is true. No, what I said before is no longer valid. It seems like on pretty much everything, what Fauci used to say and what he says now don't go together. And yet he has the perfect excuse because nobody's going to hold his feet to the fire except Rand Paul, or so it seems. What about on masks? Let's go back and listen to what Dr. Anthony Fauci has said over the course of say about the last year and a half on masks. Cut three.
1: You're sure of it? Because people are listening really closely to this. Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. The better part of valor is that when you're out and you can't maintain that six foot distance to wear some sort of facial covering.
0: A lot of folks uh, are hearing now about double masking, wearing two masks or trying to get one of those N95 medical grade masks. Do you believe that that's advisable and makes a difference?
1: You know, it, it, it likely does, because, I mean, this is a physical covering to prevent uh, uh, droplets and virus to get in. So if you have a physical covering with one layer, You put another layer on, it just makes common sense. If you really want to have an extra little uh, bit of protection, maybe I should put two masks on. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's no data that indicates that that is going to make a difference. If a physical barrier with one mask works, it makes common sense that two layers or three layers, and you should have a double layer mask and one mask anyway. But if you want to put an extra mask on, there's nothing wrong with that.
0: There you have it. There you have it. It might make you feel better to put on a mask and it might block maybe a droplet, but you don't need to be wearing a mask. Oh, double masks. I mean, I think double masks could be a good thing. Go ahead and do it. I mean, what kind of guidance is this? And I go back to this gospel coalition piece and basically it's long and I don't want to bore you with it, but there is a lot of respect for the government. Now look at what we're watching online as to what the government of Australia is doing to its people. You have people going out on the streets, protesting these lockdowns, protesting this totalitarian implementation of incredible population control. And what do you have the cops doing? You have cops grabbing people, throwing them down, shooting rubber bullets at them, spraying them with water. Who are the bad guys in this scenario? The people who are yearning to breathe free and are even putting up the Gadsden flag? I mean, that's awesome to see that in Australia. Or is the problem the police at this point? Is the problem the government? I'm going to go with B. And yet everything in this article goes along with this idea that if the state tells you to do it, You need to do it. Well, that might be true if you were living in a monarchy and you had no rights whatsoever. You were living in a dictatorship. You were living in some kind of government situation where you didn't have a constitution like we have in the United States that guarantees the freedoms God gave to us. But when you have a constitution like ours, the constitution is above everybody and everybody is underneath that constitution and you have a right to appeal to the Constitution, especially on this issue of religious exemptions, if that is what your conscience requires. You have the right to do it as an American and I just don't think we need additional voices jumping in and saying, I'm religious too and I think you need to obey the government under every circumstance. Have you not noticed how the government is tyrannizing its own people in so many instances here and in Australia and other places around the world? This hour Janet Mefford today is brought to you in part by the new documentary, The Jesus Music, from Lionsgate and the creators of I Can Only Imagine, featuring interviews with many artists from contemporary Christian music. The Jesus Music, only in theaters beginning October 1st. More information is available at thejesusmusic.movie.